Prediction is powerful. For as long as people have been thinking about the future, we've also been trying to predict it. And in some areas, we've gotten pretty good. Think like meteorology and climate modeling. But scientifically speaking, we're still pretty far from the stuff of crystal balls and oracles. There's lots of things people have no reliable way to forecast, despite what your horoscope may suggest. Absolutely. But what if artificial intelligence could get us closer to that fantasy, supernatural realm of divination than ever before? What if, for instance, an AI model could accurately forecast a person's death? Wait, what? Yeah, it, uh, uh, it's, <laughs> it sounds really scary, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it might be, but probably not for the reasons you expect. I'm Lauren Leffer, tech reporting fellow at Scientific American. And I'm Talika Bose, senior multimedia editor. And you're listening to Scientific American Science Quickly podcast. So, Talika, death. We're all going to do it one day, but if you could know when you were going to die, would you want to? No, 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 I would <laughs> didn't not. even let me finish the question. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't want to know. Yeah, uh, me either. It seems like a super obvious case of TMI. Yeah, for sure. But the inherently unsettling nature of an AI calculator that spits out death predictions <laughs> didn't stop researchers from developing just that. The tool is called Life2Vec and was described in a study published late last year. And it's really an AI widget that says when you're going to die? Yes and no. Life2Vec isn't just a death predictor. It's way more general than that. It can offer more than just mortality forecasts. One big caveat right up front, though, it's, uh, it's hard to know exactly how accurate any of its predictions are at the moment. No one is claiming that the tool can definitively predict an individual person's death. And uh, it's also trained on a very specific data set, namely one that contains information on residents of Denmark. So it can't offer meaningful predictions about anyone who isn't Danish. OK, so that's that's a relief. But can we go back to the, quote, more general thing? Like, what else can I predict? Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's a big deal for Danes. But on top of forecasting mortality over a four year period specifically, the developers also tested their tool's ability to predict people's answers to personality questions and to forecast if someone would make an international move. Interesting. Mm hmm. In all three of these tests, Life2Vec seemed to perform pretty well. Um, it had a higher accuracy than other prediction methods the researchers compared it to. For the death test, that meant about 78% accurate. And moving abroad was about 73%. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But again, it's hard to know exactly what accuracy really means here. Okay, hold up. So the death calculator could also predict personality traits and if people would live abroad. Like, how? I mean, how are these things related? Okay, so let's take a step back here. Life2Vec is a machine learning model, which basically just means it's a big computer program made to detect patterns in very large data sets. Okay. The researchers, they built this model and trained it on tons of government-collected information on millions of people living in Denmark. They had employment history, basic demographic data, and also information on just about every interaction between people and the Danish medical system because Denmark has universal health care. Wow, that must be nice. Yeah, truly. <laughs> anyway, the researchers took all this data for each person, organized it into timelines, and Life2Vec was fed all these timelines and trained to pick up on patterns between the different events that show up in a person's life. So like, how are location and salary related? Do people diagnosed with certain diseases survive? Do people with certain professions tend to live longer? Do people with certain career paths have certain personality traits? Exactly. That's how you can go from something like demographic info to personality questionnaire. That's so interesting. 
Right. And from there, the researchers can ask versions of the model to make predictions based on all those timelines. The extra interesting thing here with LifeDevac isn't just that it makes these predictions, though. Again, we've been doing that forever. It's how it does it. It's a type of model usually used for chatbots and language processing. It basically runs like souped-up autocomplete. Okay, wait. So the death predictions are like autocompleting someone's life? That is one way to put it. <laughs> you, uh, you give the model the life event timeline, you ask it a specific question, and it predicts the next relevant step in the timeline based on the prompt. Sometimes that means predicting death. Uh, okay, yeah. This sounds way too much like a Black Mirror episode. Your phone's autocomplete starts to spit out, uh, you'll die in seven days type messages. Yeah, you should pitch that to Netflix. I'm on it. We can be co-writers. Awesome. So a little bit ago, you kept touching on life to accuracy. Like, what was that about? Yeah. So I talked with some statistical and life modeling experts about this, and none of them were super convinced by those 70 plus percent accurate numbers that the researchers reported in the study. My favorite quote on this came from Christina Silcox, director for digital health at Duke Margolis Center for Health Policy. I asked her how powerful she thought Life2Vax mortality predictions are, and she said, quote, I would not quit my job and go to the Bahamas based on this thing. <laughs> okay, that's kind of a burn. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's more of a statement on how hard it is to predict something like death and to assess the accuracy of something so new. There's really nothing obvious to compare Life2Vax to. So you can't just see how much better it is than like flipping a coin or something. No. Data and statistics are super wonky, particularly around death, which is a rare event if you think about it. It only happens once in a person's life. And young people don't tend to die very often. In fact, if you were to just assume that everyone between like 25 and 50 in a population was going to live in a given year, you'd already be a really accurate death oracle. You'd be right most of the time. Okay, so that means like you've got to figure out what it means to actually be good at predicting death. And then compare life to back to that, right? Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, totally. And that's the big question mark. Got it. So what could you use this for if not to tell you when it's time to go permanent vacation mode? Like, if we don't know how good it is, what is the point, in all fairness? Mm -hmm. Great question. Uh, there, there are a lot of potential uses down the road with more testing. For one, the model could help us understand disease prognosis and health outcomes. And from a sociology angle, which is where the study authors were really coming from, you can use life to vec to tease out hidden societal biases, links between age or country of origin and professional advancement. So all of that sounds theoretically cool, but I'm stuck on this idea, you know, that this will be used in a bad and scary way, like minority report style punishing crimes before they happen sort of stuff. It's it's a really valid concern. Thank you for validating. Of course. <laughs> there is definitely an ethical risk with tools like this. Mm -hmm. The study authors are aware of it. They were careful to note all the ways that Danish privacy and anti-discrimination laws restrict how life to vet can be used. It's not just going to be a freely available tool. Academic and government researchers will have to apply to use it for specified purposes. And they have a responsibility to protect people's data. OK, cool. That's better than nothing, I guess. Yep. And if it makes you feel any better, the study author I spoke with, Soon Lemon, told me that he worked on this research because he trusts the Danish government. But in the U.S. or another country without a comprehensive data privacy law, he probably wouldn't have been so comfortable. OK, so as someone that lives in the U.S., that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> Fair. Different approach then to double down and make you feel worse. We kind of sort of already live in a version of the terrifying minority report world. In the U.S., there's predictive policing and judges actually make sentencing decisions sometimes with the help of AI algorithms. In all of these cases, 
bias and inaccuracy are big documented problems that keep popping up. Yeah. I mean, bias and AI is a huge issue. Um, And while we're talking about algorithms, there's social media, too. Right. Yeah. Tech companies collect so much data on users and are definitely using that data to build predictive AI models. These can help, you know, companies maximize engagement or forecast what people will and won't buy. The biggest difference here, though, between tech company algorithms, criminal justice tools and life to vec is is really that for the first two, there's very little transparency. But for the last one, for life to vec, the academic researchers want the public and scientific community to understand how their tool works and what it can do. Okay, solid. So to fight the system, I guess you have to understand the system. Right, right, right. Lemon's hope is that a transparent and flexible model like life to vec will spur conversation in a new direction. It might get people in governments to start thinking about, like, what's possible, what's right. He told me, I hope this can be part of discussion that helps move us in the direction of utopia and away from dystopia. Utopia is a really big goal, <laughs> but I, I hope he's right. Also, I would settle for, like, not dystopia. <laughs> Yeah, Honestly, me too. Any any zone in between is good with me. But I'm I'm cool with that. It is a lofty goal. You're right about that. Uh, so Talika, what uh what have we learned here? I'm giving you a little test. Uh, Denmark seems cool. A plus. You passed. <laughs> Science Quickly is produced by Jeff Delvisio, Talika Bose, Kelso Harper, and Corinne Leong. Our show is edited by Ella Fetter and Alexa Lim. Our theme music was composed by Dominic Smith. Don't forget to subscribe to Science Quickly wherever you get your podcasts. For more in-depth science news and features, go to scientificamerican.com. And if you like the show, give us a rating or a review. For Scientific American Science Quickly, I'm Lauren Leffer. And I'm Talika Bose. See you next time. <laughs>